Good to see everybody this morning on this last Lord's Day of 2023. Uh, it's been a blessed year in many, many ways, and we look forward to the blessings of the new year. I want to encourage you, if you can at all, to be here this evening uh, at 6. We're going to be closing out the year in, in worship uh, with our uh, shepherds leading us in prayer uh, as we uh, sing and pray together and Thank God for the year past and look forward to the year to come. And I hope that you can come and be a part of that. And no better way to look into a new year than to do so in prayer and in praise of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you were about 12 years old what you wanted to be when you grew up? How many of you had something in mind? Yeah, I didn't either. But the only thing that I knew that I wanted to be when I was 12 was 13. Uh, I don't think I was self, that self-aware. I didn't want to be a, a fireman or a cowboy or a policeman or an astronaut or any of that stuff. Um, just didn't really think about it that much. I sure hadn't thought about being a preacher. Um, but I really wasn't that much aware of thinking about the future and about being so aware of who I was. One of the greatest mysteries about Jesus coming into this world about God becoming flesh, about what we call the incarnation. One of the greatest mysteries about that has to do with the question of how self-aware was Jesus right from the very beginning. I don't know if you've ever thought of that or not, but it will really get your head spinning if you think about it. How self-aware was he from the beginning? For example, when he was lying there in that manger and Mary and Joseph were looking at him and others were coming around and you know, how they, you'll do with a baby, and I'm sure they did with Jesus too, cooing at him and playing with him. Was he looking up at them and thinking, you have no idea what this is really all about? Did he have those kinds of thoughts in his mind? After all, he was God in the flesh. What about when he was a toddler? Was he walking around as a three-year-old thinking about the cross? Or did something about his human uh, part of his, of his being, keep him from being aware of that. The Bible doesn't tell us those kind of things. And it's probably just as well, because my guess is if the scriptures tried to explain those things to us, we couldn't understand it anyway. There are a lot of things I think sometimes we think, why didn't the Bible do this and why didn't the Bible do that? And my assumption is the Bible gives us everything we can handle and more. And we probably couldn't understand these things if Scripture told them to us. There is an air of mystery about it, and there always will be. But what we do know about Jesus is that by the age of 12, he had a much greater sense of his identity and purpose than his parents did. Far greater sense of it, and that's what's brought out in Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 41. This section that we just heard read, Luke 2, 41 to 52, is the only episode that we have about Jesus from the time that he was a baby until he was about 30 years old. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or not, but there is so much more of Jesus' life that we know nothing about than there is that we do know about. Really about all we know is some selected days of the last three years. We don't know anything from the time that he was maybe a year, two years old, until he was about 30. That comes from Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. that says he was about 30 when he began his public ministry. 
So we have these large gaps of silence there uh, about uh, Jesus. And this text in Luke 2 would be important enough if that were its only significance because it is the only thing we know about him from his childhood. It would be important enough if, if it were only for that. But it also shows Jesus growing self-awareness and what that meant for him and what it meant for his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. Here's the way it happened. Chapter 2 and verse 41 says that Mary and Joseph went to Nazareth for Passover. And in this particular Passover, Jesus was about 12 years old or was 12 uh, years old. Now, Passover was one of three festivals in the Jewish year that required the attendance of all males in Jerusalem for the festival if they could get there. If you could go, you were supposed to go. And you would gather there with everybody else who could gather there. And it was a huge time. It was a big time of celebration. Big, big crowds of people would come because from however far they could come, some would have to leave and make uh, journeys of months in order to do it. Some couldn't do that. Others would come from nearby, such as uh, Jesus and his parents. But still, for them, it was, a, it was a lengthy journey. But they came to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, there were two other celebrations, Pentecost and Tabernacles, one in the spring and one in the fall. There were the other two that required their presence, but this one was the, the Passover festival, and the Bible says they went. Now, there's nothing remarkable about that. It simply tells us that Mary and Joseph were faithful to their Jewish faith, that they were doing what the law said that they ought to do, that they were living up to their calling as faithful Jews. But verse 42 says that this Passover, Jesus was 12 years old, and boys were considered full members of the synagogue when they reached the age of 13. So he's right on the verge of manhood, but he's not there yet. Uh, he is approaching manhood, but he's not quite where they would expect him to be taking the law so very seriously as they did with a 13-year-old but even before that, he is showing his deep passion for serving his heavenly father. Then we get to chapter 2, verses 43 to 46, and we find out that as they made their way home at the end of the festival, which lasted about a week, and then they're on the way home, and they've traveled a full day before they realize he's not with them. Now, people have wondered how in the world could that happen. Any of you ever leave one of your kids? Don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> All right, kids, any of you ever been left by your parents? <laughs> you know, that, that happens every once in a while. I remember once years ago when I was preaching in St. Louis, and uh, we lived right next door to the building, and, and everybody had left, and we went on home, and there was a, the doorbell rang, and we went to the door, and there's this little girl about six, and she's just tears running down her face, and she said, my mommy and daddy left me. Yeah, it was sad. Um, they had like five children, and they were, they were there visiting the grandparents, and they, the parents thought she was with the grandparents, and the grandparents thought she was with the parents, and turns out she was with us, <laughs> which did not make her very happy at all. But they did come back and get her, and, and we persuaded her that it was an accident. Well, I, I think something like that must have happened in the case of Jesus, except he intentionally stayed behind, but Mary and Joseph went a day's journey before they realized he was missing. You know, they would travel in large groups of people from the same general area, uh, family and friends and so forth. And they probably thought he's over there with uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so. And 
or some have suggested that the, the women probably traveled ahead of the men and took the children with them. And so Joseph thought he was with Mary, and Mary thought he had stayed behind with Joseph. But nevertheless, they get to the end of the day, and they realize he's not there. And then they have to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. That's another day. And then it takes them another day of looking in order to find him. And so the Bible says it's three days. And they don't know where he is. Verses 46 and 47 says when they found him, they were amazed because he was in the temple. And he was sitting there in the midst of the teachers of the law, and he was asking them questions. That was a common way of learning in the ancient world, by the way. Students were expected to ask questions of their teachers, and then the teachers would respond, and that's how you, that's how you learn this is kind of a side thing, but wouldn't you love to know what questions he asked them? I wish somebody had taken notes. I wish we knew. Now, we know that at the end of his life, toward the end of his life, in the last week when he was in Jerusalem, the religious leaders were asking him questions, trying to, trying to trip him up. They were asking him things like, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And the Sadducees asked him a silly little question, a hypothetical situation about a, a woman who'd been married to seven brothers and they all died in the resurrection. Whose wife will she be? And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about because you had not read your Bible. If you had, you'd know that in heaven they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels. And, and so they ask him questions. But at this point, he's asking them questions. And he's asking them questions of these religious experts and and they were astonished the bible says at his answers it wasn't so surprising that he was asking questions but it was his level of understanding luke says all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers they were just shocked this 12 year old talking with these religious experts and the understanding that he displays and the answers that he's giving to them. Now, Mary and Joseph had a dual reaction to this. Along with everybody else, verse 48 says, they were astonished at their 12-year-old son engaged in that kind of high-level discussion. They were just amazed. Apparently, they had not anticipated this in any way. They had not seen this coming. They had no idea that he would be able to do this. But here he is sitting and talking with the religious leaders and giving amazing answers. But they were also irritated. They were irritated because he had left them hanging for three days, not knowing where he was. I don't think there's a mom in the world who wouldn't have said, said what Mary said. Son, why have you treated us this way? We've been looking for you for three days. Why didn't you tell us where you were? And then Jesus gave that response in verse 49. Now, verse 49, I think, is the key to this whole episode. Verse 49 is what all this is leading up to. When Jesus tells them in response to the question, why have you treated us so? But here's the first question. What did Jesus actually say? Did he say, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? That's what the English Standard Version and the NIV both say, and most other translations, by the way. 
Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The King James Version says this. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? Now, that's not quite the same thing, is it? The problem is, the Greek literally says, didn't you know I had to be in the things of my father? I had to be in the things of my father. There's not a word for house and there's not a word for business in the text. And so translators have to supply something there. Didn't you know that I had to be either in my father's house or about my father's business? Now, most translations and most commentaries take the position that what's really important here is where Jesus was. The fact that they found him in his father's house. They found him in the temple. That's the big thing they say. I, I really can't quite buy that. I, I know that's important. I see that in the text, but I think what's more important is what he was doing there. I think it's more important not where he was, but what he was doing where he was. When his, he, he wasn't with his parents. Why? Because not where he was, because he was going about his father's business. He was pursuing, engaging in discussion about the law of God, about the Father's will. That was the most important thing. And it was an ever-growing thing in his life. But either way, whether we take it as he's in his Father's house or he's about his Father's business, it's, it's a significant statement. And here's why. First of all, because these are the first recorded words of Jesus, Luke 2, 49. First recorded words of Jesus. Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? That's the first thing we know of that he said. And they set the agenda for the rest of his life. That is the rest of his life. Being about the father's business. Doing the father's will. Carrying out what God wanted him to carry out. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Why? Because night comes when no one can work. He knew that he had a limited amount of time on this earth. And he knew that while he was on this earth, he must work the works of him who sent me. And so he was not only guided, he was driven. Driven by the Father's will. It's necessary for me to be doing the things of my Father, he says. These are his first recorded words, and they're about his whole life. You know, we often pay attention to Jesus' last words from the cross, don't we? We've all heard sermons about that. We've heard sermon series about that, the, the last words of Jesus from the cross. Maybe we need to pay more attention than we do to the first words because they tell us what his whole life is going to be about. It's going to be about the divine necessity that he felt to be about the Father's business. But another reason why verse 49 is so important is because these words emphasize his identity, his self-awareness, that he is God's son in a unique way. Didn't you know I had to be about my Father's business? You know, most Jews would never say that. They might say our father's business, but they wouldn't say my father's business. That would be considered presumptuous. If you want to see that, look at John chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. And of course, as it was always the case, that, that 
created quite a stir because he healed somebody, but he did it on the Sabbath. He did it on a day when the scribes and the Pharisees didn't think he should have done it. They thought he was working on the Sabbath, so he's breaking the Sabbath law. He's not showing any respect for the law, they would say, and they did say. But Jesus responded uh, to them, by, and he said, My father is working still, and I am working my father is working still, and I am working. And you know what they did? They picked up stones to stone him to death because he made God his own father. They thought that was presumptuous. So there's something very powerful in this statement when this 12-year-old Jesus says, Did you not know I had to be about my father's business? He's pointing to that unique relationship that he had with the Father. But there's still another reason why these words are so important because they signal a shift in his relationship with Mary and Joseph. As far as we know, up until the age of 12, he's lived a normal childhood. We don't know of anything beyond that. In the second and third centuries, there were some folks who were just kind of driven mad by that, by the silence. And so they composed what were called infancy gospels, trying to, trying to describe what they thought a five-year-old with supernatural powers would be like. Kind of scary, isn't it? The stuff they came up with was scary, too. Uh, he would strike his friends blind if they, if they upset him. And, you know, when Joseph hired a tutor to teach him and the tutor tried to correct him and Jesus struck him blind, uh, and, and then... Because the old man didn't uh, repent of that, uh, he, he caused him to die. Uh, you know, you, you don't want everybody to have supernatural powers. You know, it's okay in the movies. It's not okay in life. But people wrote these documents trying to say, is this what Jesus was like? Maybe this is what he was like when he was that age. But these words of Jesus, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Signal a shift in his relationship with him. He has had this normal upbringing, but now something's changing. Something's changing. Now they've got to realize that his primary role in life is not to live as their son. His primary role in life is to live as the son of God. And now the things of God are going to have to take priority over everything else. Now, according to chapter 2 and verse 51, he was still submissive to them. He went down with them and was obedient to them, the Bible says. But at the same time, he put them on notice. He put them on notice that he isn't in the world simply to be their son, but to be the only son of the Father. He put them on notice that he has a mission to perform, a mission that they do not yet understand. But whether they understand it or not, it has to be the guiding principle of his life. And his relationship with them must have second place in his life, not first place, as they probably wanted. Don't you know I've got to be about my father's business? You know, as you and I approach the beginning of a new year, I can't think of a more appropriate idea than Luke 2.49 to be the guiding principle for all of us. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? We're God's children too. 
and his business is our business. We're God's children. We've been redeemed by the blood of his son and we've been called to carry out his business, his mission in this world, not our own. Not to live life as we see fit, but as he sees fit. Not to, not to set the goals that we determine, but the goals that he determines and to do whatever it takes to carry those out. We've been called to be about our father's business. And I wonder as you look back on the year that's just coming to an end, can you say I've been about my father's business? Can you truthfully say that's what my life has been, been about? That's been the controlling principle of everything else. I've had a lot of things I had to do, but the controlling principle, the guiding principle has been the mission of God to which he has called me as a child of God. That's what my life is about. And as we look into the new year, can you say that's going to be the guiding principle of my life? You see, whatever you find yourself doing next year, you should be doing your father's business. You might be saying, well, one thing I know is I'll have to be going to work every day. Okay. When you're at work, are you going to be doing the father's business? If school is most of your life, when you're at school, be doing the father's business. Go to that school every day with the idea in mind that I'm here to represent my father. I'm here to live for God. If you're active in your community, among your neighborhood, when you're being active in the community, when you're being active in the neighborhood, be conscious of the fact that you've been called to go about the Father's business. You've been called to do God's will wherever you are. If it's in the church that you're called to do God's business, that we've all together been called to do God's business. We must be about our Father's business. We really don't have an option about that. And don't let anything or anybody interfere with the work of his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus said, and all the other things that you need will be added unto you. Here's the big question. Do we believe it? Do we believe that if we put God's kingdom first, if we're doing his business first, that he'll take care of us and supply every other need that we have? Not every other want, but every other need that we have if we only put the kingdom first. A lot of folks make New Year's resolutions at this time of year. You and I only need one. And the one that we need is this. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? That's what I'm going to do this year. If you haven't yet given your life to Christ, then that's where you need to start. You need to start with repentance for the fact that you haven't done that. And repentance for the sins that you've committed in your life. And, and to confess Christ and be baptized into him and get started down that road of living your life for him and doing the Father's business. And if you've already done that, then you need to continue giving it to him day by day as you go about your Father's business. Not only this year, but in whatever years that God gives you to live, make sure that doing the Father's business is what your life is about. His business becomes your business, and you will indeed be blessed in every way. That's the only resolution you need this year. Don't you know that I've got to be about my Father's business? Let's stand together and sing.